Well, as I've already mentioned, next week, November 27th, is the start of Advent, when we look forward to the coming of the baby Jesus at Christmas time. And for that reason, I'm concluding our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit today. In fact, I'm going to be sort of summarizing. This one has been spaced out with other things in between this series. So I'm going to be summarizing a few things and also finishing out our consideration of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. To begin, I want us to again look at the passage in Galatians 5, which is where the Apostle Paul gives us our understanding of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, beginning with verse 19. Hear now this which is the word of the Lord. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. I have to confess that whenever I read a list like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, and so on. I always want to have people raise their hands if they feel like this is an issue in their life so that we can pray for them, but I'm not going to do that. Um, We need to start out by recognizing that when Paul talks about these things as being acts of the flesh, he is not saying these are acts of the body. Many people have misunderstood this and believe that the human body is inherently sinful in some way, but that's not true. God made the human body. God made the physical world. And in fact, Jesus came in a physical body himself. The body is neutral. If the Holy Spirit is the one who controls our body, if we walk in the Spirit, then we can be righteous. But if the flesh is what controls our body, then we walk in the lusts or desires of the flesh. The spirit and the flesh quite simply have different appetites. They have different agendas. And that's what creates the conflict in people. And Paul here in this passage, he gives us those two extremes. Those who give themselves over to the acts of the flesh and those who seek to live according to the spirit. But as we've said before, it is not that the Christian can simply will himself or herself to overcome the desires of the flesh. None of us is that good on our own power. These two things are opposed to one another, and you cannot do anything you please, Paul writes earlier in the fifth chapter of Galatians. It's the very problem that Paul discusses in his own life, even the Apostle Paul in Romans, when he says, I do not know what I'm doing, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, that is what I keep on doing. This is exactly the conflict between the flesh and the spirit that Paul experienced and that we all experience. And the point here in Galatians 5 is that it is not possible purely by an act of human effort or will to deny the temptations of the flesh. Those desires are too strong for that. If we are to overcome the flesh, we must do so by giving in to the Holy Spirit. 
by giving in to the power of the Spirit in us, a Christian can manifest these nine fruit, or sometimes they're called graces or sometimes virtues, that are listed here in Galatians 5. The fruit are not produced by us, in other words. They don't come out of us as believers, but rather the Holy Spirit brings them out. He works through us as we are in union with Jesus Christ. Without understanding that, it is the Spirit that is making this possible in us and not we ourselves. We're liable to be completely confused. People who say, why can't I overcome this addiction? Why can't I overcome this temptation? Why can I not get rid of this perpetual sin in my life? Well, it's simply because we are focused on trying to get rid of the temptation instead of turning and focusing on having the Holy Spirit become the dominant force in our lives so that the fruit of the Spirit can begin to take over and to drive out the acts of the flesh that Paul identifies here. Now, we need to note that the word fruit is singular in this passage. It's not fruits, it's fruit. It indicates that these qualities are a unity. They are all aspects of what it looks like when a believer truly is under control of the Holy Spirit. Now, this all Christians, in other words, are supposed to have a manifestation of all of these graces or fruits. It's not like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we studied previously, which Paul makes very clear, not all gifts are given to all believers, but all of the fruit should be present in our lives to some extent or another. As we grow in grace, meaning as we become more holy, as we give ourselves over more in our lives to the Holy Spirit, as we, be, as we are made by the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus, then these fruit will be more evident in our lives. But there needs to be some evidence of these fruit in any Christian's life, or there's a serious problem. And I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. Now, looking at this entire list, I've already talked about some of them, these fruit or virtues or graces. We've talked about in previous weeks, especially love and joy and peace, the first three. These are aspects of who we are as Christians when we find ourselves in God and in God's nature. In other words, when we are given, when we've accepted Christ, when the Spirit is in us, He gives us the grace of joy, of peace, and ultimately of love. We talked last week that Jesus and the Holy Spirit want us to have love and peace and joy. They want us to experience this because this is what abundant life looks like. And Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Not just in eternity, but now in this life. That we can have the abundance of love and joy and peace. But to receive those gifts, again, you have to surrender you have to accept Jesus, and then you must learn to worship him, not just here in church, but throughout your lives. I said last week, if you go through your week and you never think about Jesus, and you never see in your own life the manifestation of these fruit of the Spirit, then I believe you have a serious problem. In fact, there's a great quote from uh, Billy Sunday, who said... If you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. If you do not sense a presence, and that may be small, you may yet be maturing in the faith, but if you do not sense these fruit in your lives, then you need to ask yourselves the hard question. Have I really accepted Jesus? Am I allowing myself to surrender to the Holy Spirit so that He can make these things evident in my life? To have these great fruit 
to experience the Holy Spirit in our life, we have to surrender. There's no other way. Now, of all of these fruit, love, as we've said, is listed first because it is the foundation of all the rest. God is himself love. That is the nature of God. And because that is God's nature, he expresses love for the world. That doesn't mean the physical world. It means the people. It means you and me. God loves us even though we don't deserve it. He loves us when we are even in our sin. Scripture says that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Such self-sacrificing love that Jesus would come and die for sinners is the kind of love, in a smaller way, that we are able to manifest in our lives as we become more controlled by the Holy Spirit. We wonder how people can forgive atrocities against them and against people they love. How can they forgive? How can they go on? Well, they don't do it by human effort. They do it because God the Holy Spirit allows them to experience this kind of love. We then have joy, the second fruit. It's a deep, joy means a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which is promised to those who abide in Christ. Now, joy is not the same as happiness. People make that mistake. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Joy is not. Joy rests in the belief that God is sovereign and in control of all things. Even when they're hard, we can have joy about it. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about joy. In fact, he wrote a, one of his a biography of his early life is called Surprised by Joy. Joy is a major theme for him. All of his friends thought that was very funny that he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy and then late in life met a woman named Joy Davidman and married her. He truly did get surprised by joy. But C.S. Lewis talks about joy and he says this about joy. It jumps under one's ribs and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delightedly sleepless in nights. It shocks one awake when the other, when the other, meaning lack of joy, puts one to sleep. My private table is one second of joy is worth 12 hours of pleasure. I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not simply substitutes for real joy. And then elsewhere, the beautiful statement, Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. As we give ourselves into control by the Holy Spirit, as we become more like Jesus, we experience more joy because joy truly is the serious business of heaven. And then the Billy Sunday quote, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. That harkens back to um, what I was talking about last week, that the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life may mean you never really seriously have given yourself over to Jesus. You may have said the words, you may call yourself a Christian, but you may never really have accepted Jesus as Lord and given him control of your life and allowed the Holy Spirit to indwell you as a Christian. Every Christian is given the Holy Spirit. Without the indwelling of that Holy Spirit, you cannot experience the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the love and joy and peace and the rest. And if you find yourself being really honest and you have to say that those things do not exist in your life, you cannot generate them for yourself. You must turn to Jesus. We then turn to peace, the next fruit mentioned. Again, this is a gift of Jesus, the Christ. It means an inner repose, an inner quietness, even in the face of difficult circumstances. This is how some of the early martyrs of the Christian church could go to their deaths without fear, 
and even with a willingness to accept God's will for their life because they had the peace that passes understanding, the calmness of spirit that defies all human understanding. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit, not our power, that we can experience that peace. We then look at the the second trio, or the, the next three of these, which you might call the fruits of or the fruit of relationships, because they have to do more specifically with how we reach out and relate to other people based upon God's giving us the gifts of love, joy, and peace. Forbearance is the fourth in this list, and it's the quality of patience under provocation, you might say. In other words, having patience even when you are being provoked to not be patient. I've had several people ask me since I started talking about this, why does this list in the NIV say forbearance and not patience? A lot of people have memorized this list when they were back in vacation Bible school that it's, you know, it's joy, peace, uh, sorry, love, joy, peace, patience. Well, forbearance is a much better word for this, and I think the NIV translation is right here, because the word patient, patience, doesn't quite capture the meaning of the Greek word. You can be patient for a tea kettle as you wait for it to boil. You can be patient for your tax return check to arrive. But forbearance is something that you can only show toward other people, and that's the point of this. It really means that you don't have any desire to retaliate even when somebody treats you wrongly that you will forbear against what they've done to you. It means giving people a second chance after they've blown it. That's what forbearance means, and it's much more than just patience. Forbearance is something we're called to show toward people, but we can never show forbearance to inanimate objects because they don't have any will involved. We next look at kindness, the next fruit on our list. Kindness means benevolence in action. Kindness is what... Benevolence looks like when it works, when it does something. It means treating people well, perhaps even better than they deserve, in much the same way that God demonstrated his kindness for us by saving us when we didn't deserve it. Since God is kind toward sinners, a Christian is supposed to be kind toward others, to have that same virtue. A good way to think about kindness, and to some extent forbearance, is that it involves following the golden rule. We are supposed to be kind in the way we treat others because that's how we would want to be treated. Don't treat them according to how they act. Treat them the way you would want to be treated. And that invariably is kindness because we want to be treated kindly. We then have goodness on our list. Goodness may be thought of as uprightness of soul. It's the act of reaching out to others to do good even, again, when it may not be deserved. All of these are in spite of circumstances. Now, we use the word good so often. I've thought this for a long, long time. Everything is good. Oh, that's good. Well, that's good. Whatever. Good. We realize, we we fail to realize just how powerful a word good is. Or how powerful it is when we say that someone is showing the virtue of goodness. What it really means is that good is a demonstration of wholeness, of completeness, of rightness. This is why when God created the universe, he looked down at his creation in several places and said, God saw what he had done, and it was good. It was whole. It was complete. It was right. That's what it means for us to be good. And then the final three graces or fruit that we have on our list, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These identify ways we are to conduct ourselves. 
if we are led by the Spirit. Faithfulness is the quality that means we are trustworthy and reliable, like the faithful servants that are described in the New Testament. It implies a steadiness, a steadfastness, and a reliability, which is supposed to be the mark of all Christians. It means we can be counted on to fulfill the responsibilities that God has given us or that our, the authorities who are over us on earth have given us and do what is right. That's why Christians, above all people, should be trustworthy and reliable employees because we are supposed to manifest faithfulness in our whole lives. And then gentleness. Gentleness is what marks a person who is submissive to God's word and so considerate of others. Gentleness really is, I believe, at the root of compassion. It involves a soft word and a soft touch. It means being affected by the things that you see. It's a caring approach to people and things in life, especially those who are without power or influence to stand up for themselves. I believe it is an act of gentleness when we feed the several hundred people that we feed here every week or provide clothing or visit the people who are in prison. We must have a spirit of gentleness in order for us to be able to do those things. And finally, self-control. Self-control means self-mastery. No doubt it's primarily related to curbing these fleshly impulses that Paul described in Galatians 5 earlier. G.K. Chesterton had a great quote. G.K. Chesterton had a thousand great quotes. But one of my favorites is Chesterton said, Not all desires are desirable. That's what self-control means. It's a willingness to admit that just because I want something, my desire does not necessarily make it right. I have to be prepared to evaluate my desires to determine whether they're appropriate and desirable, whether I should pursue those appetites or not, whether this is what God desires. We cannot attain this kind of self-control by our own power, but only by the power of the Spirit. So in the two halves of this passage of Scripture, verses 19 to 21, verses uh, 22 to 25, Paul reminds the church of Galatia and he reminds us that in addition to there being a divine judgment against those who give in to the sinful fleshly nature that is represented here, there also is divine enablement that the Holy Spirit will give us the guidance and the strength that we need to live in these fruit. Believers do not have to have, according to Paul, this sinful nature manifest. We can consider it crucified. That is, that it is baptized in the Holy Spirit, identified with Christ in his death and resurrection. It doesn't mean that our sinful nature is going to go away. We are always going to be sinners. Anyone who says they're not a sinner is a liar and the truth is not in them. That's not me. That's John the Apostle. Anyone who says they are without sin is a liar and the truth is not in them. Great story that I tell often. I love it. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, had a woman from his congregation come to him and say, Pastor Spurgeon, I haven't sinned in over a week. And he said, well, you must be very proud. She said, yes, I am. <laughs> Not realizing that pride is the mother of all sin. We always need to recognize that we are sinners. We are going to have sinfulness in our lives. But Jesus made it possible for us to be regenerated, for us to be able to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can make these things possible for us, but not by our efforts, but simply by our surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Paul does not deny victory here for us when I say that we can't do it ourselves. Paul simply points out 
that we can't win the victory in our own strength and our own will, but that the Holy Spirit, as we surrender our will to Him, can bring us to this kind of life. The Holy Spirit writes God's laws on our heart so that when we desire to obey Him in love, He will make us what we need to be. And so, our goal is to yield to the Holy Spirit is in, it, in us, to allow the Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus, to become more Christ-like, to be more holy. The theological word for this is to be more sanctified. The more we allow ourselves to be made over in the image of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in us, the more we will be able to show forth the wonderful fruit of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our own lives. Amen.